Anyway, we're looking at Acts chapter 1. I had a friend of mine go to the doctor, and the doctor said, you have six months to live. He said, oh, boy, I'm behind on my bill. It'll take me longer than that to catch up. He said, well, I'll give you six more months. <laughs> Corny jokes. I heard another one this week I thought was cute. This kid comes to Sunday school and says to his teacher, I decided at the last minute to come to church instead of go fishing. And the teacher was so impressed, says, well, what made you decide? He said, my dad told me he only had enough minnows for one of us. <laughs> and that wasn't as good as the first joke, evidently. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, it's good to be in the house of God. We're going to be preaching through Acts. And in a church, um, you know, we hardly have two people that agree on everything with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to teach from my training, from what I know, and go to the original language and do the best I can. Don't be offended if I say something that you don't agree with. It's okay. Can you imagine the early church? They didn't have denominations. They didn't have all those splits yet. You had all those people in one church, and they had to struggle with all these new teachings and new doctrines because the New Testament had just been written. And so here we are 2,000 years later, and we still struggle. You know, but we have unity in Christ. We agree on what we call the fundamentals. Death, burial, resurrection, virgin birth, sinlessness of Christ, inspiration of Scripture. But beyond that, we have a variety of opinions. Now, I'll remind you, opinions are not inspired. Uh, and there's no book of the Bible called Second Opinion. So uh, be careful. Make sure what you believe, you can find Scripture to back it up. We have on the screen, of course, the verse that we're going we're to mention, but we will not read. That's not our text. Acts chapter 1 is our text. But the book of Chronicles is to the Old Testament era what the book of Acts is to the New. Chronicles gives us the history of the Old Testament, and Acts gives us the history of the church. And it covers a lot of things. We know that uh, there were foundational men and foundational ministries needed. The Bible says that the apostles had to have seen the resurrected Christ. So there are no more apostles. And scripture said the last prophet was John the Baptist. So there are no more prophets. But we still have prophecy in the word of God we hold in our hands. And there were these traditional and foundational gifts. The early church... Remember, Peter and Paul went out and raised dead people. Not people who were dead and came back in five minutes like Brother Chuck, who will be joining our church soon, but people who had been dead for a day or two and laid there. Of course, Jesus, remember, with Lazarus, four days. They also were able to speak languages without ever studying a language. Acts chapter 2, we're going to study that. How they all got up, and the word dialect is the word used there. They all spoke a known language and uh, the people who traveled from all over the world for the Feast of Weeks could then hear the gospel in their own language. Isn't that some miracle? And so we see these things in the early church, and it's pretty exciting. And that's what we're going to talk about. Now, this is a transitional book. Remember, Acts is not a church epistle. The first church epistle is Romans. Acts connects the gospel era including the kingdom gospel of Matthew. Matthew talks a lot about the coming kingdom. And it connects the gospels to the church epistles, the first one, as we've said, being Romans. There are some personal books in the New Testament, but basically the church epistles are between Romans and Revelation. Revelation, the seven churches, but that's a book. The Apocalypse of John is what the word Revelation means. And of course, there's a whole lot of stuff there about the tribulation and millennium. But anyway, it's also bridging law and grace. They lived under the law. They were still living under the law. 
and they were trying to experience grace. And that was tough. Took a long time. The Judaizers, remember, wanted to keep the law after being saved. And then this connects the synagogue with the church. They were still going to the synagogue. In fact, Paul was going there and preaching Jesus, and he was thrown out of the synagogues. And they all were. Eventually, they stopped going to the synagogue. But during this transition period, we see all those things. The apostles were still alive and working those great miracles. And then Luke is, of course, of course, writing the second longest book in the New Testament. Luke was the first. Here's the book of Acts. Luke's a good writer, and he's a Gentile writing about all these things. A great traveling companion to Paul, and of course, as you know, a doctor. His name means light bearer. And he writes some great stuff, and he's writing during the time of Nero's ruling Rome. And Nero hated Christians, and they're being persecuted. It's bad enough to get saved and be thrown out by the synagogue and by your Jewish friends and family, but then for the country to target Christians as well, considering them troublemakers, it was a double whammy. And so he records so much great stuff. He records 20 individual miracles. I actually put a copy of those in the back, but you can probably Google that and get that. And he writes several miracles by Peter and John individually and collectively. And being a doctor, it had to just blow him away, the things that were happening uh, during this era. Because physicians, you know, they a lot of times are skeptical. I love a believing physician because he knows that really God's the ultimate decider of life and death, and Jesus is a great physician. And so Luke was a believer. We're looking at Acts chapter 1. We're going to read five verses. Stand if you have it. Good to have Christina back too. I, when you start naming names of people who have been sick, you have to cut them off somewhere. <laughs> you never want to offend anybody. So if I missed you and you've been out sick, good to have you here today. Acts chapter 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus. Remember, he mentions him in Luke chapter 1. That's what he's referring to the former writings. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the knowledge of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit by the Father, of course. The promise of the Father. What was that? Of the Holy Spirit. Which, he saith, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So Jesus is living 40 days after the resurrection. He comes back for 40 days. Pentecost took place 50 days. So he says, wait 10 days. They had traveled for the feast from all of the world. He said, now I want you to wait. Wait, because something great's going to happen. I'm waiting for something great to happen. Amen, that rapture. Let's pray. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in this ugly, evil, cruel world, a fallen world, a fallen people. And God, thank you for your grace because every one of us would be lost in their sin if it weren't for the grace that you displayed by sending your son, Jesus. Bless us now. Hide me behind the cross and speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we see the introduction to Acts. 
What a great book. Now, as we go through Acts, we'll take breaks now and then. Sometimes you can get bogged down in a book, and I'll do an epistle or a gospel or go into the Old Testament. In fact, Father's Day, we will not be in Acts. And so we'll start here in verse 1. He had already written to Theophilus in Luke chapter 1, we're told. What a great name. You ever met anybody named Theo? That's short for Theophilus. And that is a very rich word. That'd be a, a good name to use if you're going to look for a name for a boy. But theos is our word for God. Every time you see the word God in the New Testament, it's the word theos. Short for theology, which is theos and logos. And you say, where are you going, Pastor? I don't want to learn all this Greek. That's all we're going to learn today. Theos and logos. Logos is the word we translate word. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among men. So what a great name. And then philos. Logos is theology, I'm sorry. Philos is brotherly love. So Theophilus is God and one who loves God. He was a friend of God's. It's, it's translated friend. It's translated brotherly love in your New Testament. What a great name. I gave you theology, but the Theophilus is God and brotherly love. He was a friend of God's. He loved God. And who else does the Bible say loved God, was a friend of God? Abraham. Abraham was a friend of God. My question today is, are you a friend of God? What kind of friend are you? Jesus talks about different friends he had, and he uses different Greek words. Some of them were people he loved, and some of them were just, uh, you know, fair-weathered friends. All of you have had a fair-weathered friend. You know, someone that wants... Uh, your vote, so they become your friend, or they want to borrow something, they become your friend, and they use you and, and just discard you when they're done with your friendship. Jesus had friends like that, didn't he? And he talks about that. But Abraham was a friend of God, and Theophilus was a friend of God. I want to be a friend of God. If I'm a friend of God, I talk to him on a regular basis. I'm a good listener. When your wife talks to you, you know, my wife used to be able to know when I was listening, if I was watching TV, she could get in front of me and I could still watch TV. You see how my eyes are? I'm looking through her at the TV, kind of looking around her, and she, I got her thinking I'm listening. No, she knew. I wasn't listening. Are you a good listener? Not just to your wife, but to the Lord. Well, my wife's things aren't important. Oh, yes, they are. They're important to her. And God's things are very important. And you're the bride of Christ. And so the type of friend you are is, is based on how much time you spend with God. You want to listen to him here, and then you want to listen to him, the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit puts ideas in your head. And I've told you this before, but I have a great library, and I get a lot of great ideas from great men of God. I have hundreds of counselors all around me, maybe 2,000 or so. I don't read 2,000 books, but I'll use 20 or so every time I prepare a message. They give me advice. But you know who the greatest teacher in my life is? When Jesus went away, he said, I'm going to send you another comforter. So Jesus was a comforter. And he's going to teach you all things. The greatest preaching I ever do is when the Spirit of God gives me an idea. Sometimes I think, well, I'm the only preacher that ever had that idea. And I go and start looking. Well, several of them had that idea. Those guys that preached and died and went on before me. But the Holy Spirit is my teacher. And if I don't listen to him, I'm going to be worthless in my study and worthless here. You see, he works with me in my study. And I prepare. And he sometimes changes my direction. Sometimes in the middle of the night, I wake up. 
like this weekend. Couldn't sleep. All right, do I change my message for Sunday morning? No, you change it for Sunday night. So I'm going to be changing it for tonight. The Lord laid it in my heart. And he, he works by speaking to our minds. And every good gift cometh from the Father above. So when you have a good idea put in your mind, who do you think puts it there? When you have a bad idea, who puts it there? We talked about spiritual warfare, the devil. The good ideas come from him. Oh, don't go there, preacher. The Lord told me to give someone something. I don't want to give them something. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> if the Lord told you to, you better obey him. And so we want to uh, glean and we want to be a friend of God. And your friendship with God is determined upon your communication with God. If you don't communicate with God, if you don't listen and speak to him in prayer, you're not his friend. Abraham followed him. Sarah, pack up the bags. We're going to another country. Where? I don't know. But we're going to follow the Lord. So it's not just listening. It's not just talking to him. It's following his obedience in the little things of our life. And so we want to be like Theophilus, a friend of God. And here Luke is writing. He writes, it says here, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Put John 21, 25 up there, Kenneth. In other words, all that Luke knew of, he wrote about. But look what this says. That if everything was written down that Jesus did, if we, we'd fill this whole world with books and not be able to fully describe it. You think of that. You think of one little episode in history, how many books and chapters and pages have been written about the Kennedy assassination. Just books and books. You can go in your library. Hundreds of books. Thousands, maybe a million pages. Just think of Jesus raising one dead person. How much we could write about that. From all the different perspectives. You'd have the fishermen writing about it. And you have the tax collector writing about it. And I mean, we could have the world full of books all about the works of Jesus. That's what, that's what John tells us. And so here we find Jesus here. It says, until the day... Uh, look, hold on, back up. To, it says, Jesus began both to do and teach. And you notice in his life, he did a lot of things before he began to teach. Study the early chapters of Matthew, or, or Mark and, and Luke, and you'll find he did quite a few things before he taught. Someone once said, we need to be before we can do, and we need to do before we can teach. That's good stuff, but Jesus didn't need to be because he was already the perfect one. The word I am means the one to be. He's always existed. He didn't need to change. He was perfect. But don't think that you have to become perfect before God can use you. If you believe that, then you're going to have to discard Andrew's account. Andrew met the Messiah and ran and got his brother. Said, I want you to meet Jesus. Was Andrew perfect at that time? No. Brand new Christian. And think of others. Simon the Zealot probably slit the throats of Romans as the Zealots would hide up in the mountains and come down at night and slice the Romans' throats. And he became a believer. Did he have to wait until he was sweet and loving like John to serve the Lord? Of course not. Do not let the devil hinder you from being a witness or a testimony for him. He will utilize you. And so Jesus was everything he, he ever could and would be all his life forever. All his life, I should say, forever and ever and ever. Look at John chapter 2, verse 2, put Luke 24, 51 up there if you will, Kenneth. This verse picks up 
from Luke 24, 51. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, the ascension. Look at our verse. To whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so right now is where Luke 24, verse 51 picks up. After he presented himself for 40 days, he's taken up to heaven. And he said, I'm going to come back just the same way I left. One day he's coming back. I'm not talking about the rapture. Praise God, that's going to happen. But one day he's coming back just like he left. And he's going to land right there in the Mount of Olives. Come from heaven to earth one day. Set up his kingdom. So here we find him saying, uh, you know, Luke is saying he was here for 40 days. And then he was taken up. And he showed himself, it says here, at least 40 times. Uh, wow, 10 times in your Bible at least. And I found 10. There may be more, but I didn't research it forever and ever. But 10 times we find the word 40 days. Interesting word, a word of trials. Uh, remember, he was tried 40 days. Moses, 40, Moses fasted twice for 40 days. Think of that. Went up to the mountain, didn't eat for 40 days. Jesus did that as well. But here we find the word, his passion. That word passion, if you put uh, that another one up there, put the John, uh, Acts, or Luke 3.18, or Acts 3.18 up there, Kenneth, thank you. You see the word there, the word passion is translated suffer in this, in this chapter. His passion was all about suffering. That's the same Greek word, translated passion. And, and his passion week was a week of suffering. And his passion was all about suffering. Jesus suffered more than just three hours on the cross. Remember, they beat him beyond comprehension. They beat him up so bad, people couldn't recognize him. They ripped his beard off, grabbed it, and just ripped it out. And he, they said you couldn't recognize Jesus, the suffering. And he bore the shame, the shame of the sin of the world. I'm always amazed when I see the cameras on some famous person who's been caught red-handed. You know, and they're, they got video surveillance, and, and you know, they're always doing this. They're so ashamed. Think of their mother, how ashamed their mother is. Yet sometimes I see the mother saying, not my boy. That can't be him. You know, and, and they're so embarrassed. They don't want to admit it. And I've known people with kids caught doing things that just wouldn't admit that it was their child. We have a bunch of shame. He took it all on the cross for us. I don't have to be ashamed of my past. The Bible says forgetting those things which are behind. I don't have to go back and entertain that and the devil can't drag me down. It's gone. And so he bore the shame on the cross. He was rejected by his family. His own brothers didn't believe until after the resurrection. His country uh, rejected him. I think of all the pain and suffering. It, it, when you have someone really uh, betray you or deny you or doubt you, it's always hurtful. You remember Thomas doubted him. He's with him three and a half years. Still says, I won't believe it lest I see the scars. And then, of course, Peter three times deny him. I don't even know the man. He began to curse and to swear. And, of course, Judas. And the Lord knew his heart and knew his plans and yet was kind to someone who would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And so he experienced so much pain far more than on the cross. And then it says here in, in verse 3 as well, uh, many infallible proofs. You know, the Bible says 500 people saw him at one time. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we may have 150 here today. I don't know. But 
triple our, our attendance here today, pack this place out, put some people in chairs, and if they all saw something happen here, it would spread all over this community. And people would never forget it. And our young people and our really, you know, highly educated people and very smart people and very sincere people would go home and those people that knew them and trusted them would hear them say, you wouldn't believe what happened. I'll guarantee you when Chuck fell and died of a heart attack and we had him come back, I'll guarantee a lot of people have heard about that. I know I went to the hospital and the doctors and nurses commended our church. Said, we heard from the ambulance people, your people were great. I said, we're blessed. And so that spread. Well, here, 500 people see someone who had been crucified and dead and buried and dead for three days. 500 people. Folks, that, that's a lot of proof right there. 500 people saw him. He rose from the dead. And 2,000 years ago, we're still talking about it. That's what's happened with the gospel. It's spread all over the world. We're still talking about this 2,000 years later. We'd be pretty stupid to believe something if it didn't really happen 2,000 years later. Think of all the churches for the last 2,000 years that have been started. This church in Jerusalem's gone. Doesn't even exist anymore. Many, many churches have started and closed. I was out on the reservation in South Dakota, and I've got photos on my phone of this church, just dilapidated building, not a single house within miles. I thought, why would they build a church in the middle of nowhere? Well, maybe at one time there were teepees there or something. I don't know. But, but I was shocked to see this empty building, and I thought about all the churches that have closed over the history of time. You know, we don't find any of these churches in the Bible still going 2,000 years later. Now there's churches all over the world still. One day this building will be gone, unless the Lord wraps his church, then the sinners can have it. But, but one day this building may be dilapidated and run down and, and so forth. But we know that we're still talking about this for 2,000 years. Now, look at verse 4. Verse 3, we talked about the 40s. Think of all the 40s. And he says here in verse 3, and we're going to back up. I said verse 4, still the back, the back line, the last line of verse 3 says, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Pastor, what is the kingdom of God? What's the difference in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of God is only a kingdom of righteousness. There are good angels in God's kingdom. Believers are part of God's kingdom. And of course, the Trinity is part of God's kingdom. But that's all that persists in the kingdom of God is righteousness. Not fallen angels, not sinners, not the devil. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. One day it'll be literal. It'll be here for a thousand years. So what's the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven includes everything God ever made. The kingdom of heaven includes good and bad. You know, everybody's part of the heavens that God made. So there's a kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And Luke tells us the kingdom of God is within you. So as believers, we don't see it, but we're part of it. You see your body is a temple, and he dwells in your temple. You're part of the kingdom of God, and he's within you. The kingdom is within you because the king is in you. And he reigns in your life. Don't resist him. If you're a child of God, don't resist him. He's king. He should be on the throne of your life. 
and ruling in your life because you are part of that kingdom. So the kingdom is in me. It's a spiritual kingdom. Now I can't see it. Years ago, I was working with a meat cutter. He said, uh, I've seen the kingdom of God. And I was a young guy, 20-something years old. And at first I thought, well, I want to hear this. And he went on to talk about it. And uh, he, uh, he, he didn't live for God at all. I don't want to make fun, but he's doing some things at the moment. He's telling me about seeing the kingdom of God. And I thought, he's nuts. Uh, you know, but he didn't see anything. Listen, when the kingdom comes, everybody is going to see it. When Jesus sits on the throne, everybody's going to know he's here. They're going to know who's in charge. They're not going to have to ask who's in charge. He will rule with an iron rod. He'll rule, rule this world in perfection. He won't tolerate anything. Matthew says you won't dare call someone a name, a fool or a blockhead, without being in danger of facing him. And as believers, we don't have to worry about it. Now, we've been changed to the rapture, but we're going to come back and rule and reign with them. But sinners, beware. It's going to be a tough judgment for a thousand years. And do you know it could start seven years and one day from now? Really? Yeah, he could rapture us today. And then seven years, he'll reach the Jews. 144,000. For seven years, he'll reach the Jews. And then he'll come back. We'll come back with him and set up that kingdom. Won't that be something? When all the children of God in our robes of white will come down on white horses. You say, I don't like horses. You will then. And you'll come down and set up that rule. One day it's going to be literal. I can't wait for that day. I look forward to that day. To be on this earth and for people to see that everything we said and everything his word said is fulfilled. That's what's going to happen. So here in verse 4, and being assembled together, a great word. The word assembled includes the word synagogue, synagogue, and, and it includes eating and food and fellowship. Uh, you know, uh, actually, you know, food and fellowship is, uh, you know, the, the word assemble is kind of like an idiom for food and fellowship. Because we know that God expects us to break bread together. One of the best things we do here, believe it or not, is eat. You say, oh, I know that. I show up on that day. Well... Seek first his kingdom, you know, being sarcastic. Do you really, are you really a friend of God? Oh, I am when there's food. But, but we need to remember our friendship with God, God matters. But fellowship and food are good. Now, gluttony's not good. Oh, it's quiet. Not one amen. <laughs> I, uh, I have a thing in my life. I don't eat sweets Monday through Saturday. On Sunday, I eat all I want. So sometimes on Sundays, I'm finding myself looking at my plate, and I got three or four desserts, and if no one's looking, I get a fifth. I remember one time I was in Burger King over in Okinawa, and the GIs are all slim and trim, and at that time, I was heavier than I am now, and I went into Burger King. I think I told you this story already, and uh, I got one of those pieces of chocolate pie, and they gave me a skinny one. I always get irritated when I go to a restaurant, and they give my wife a bigger dessert or a bigger steak than me. And maybe she needs it more than me. But anyway, they gave me that little chocolate pie, like about like that. And I took that thing and I thought, now I wonder if anyone's going to see me because I've been saying, you know, I'm going to be on a diet and lose weight. And I looked around and I turned my back to the dining room and I shoved the whole piece, <laughs> one big gulp into my mouth. Mmm, that was good. Love that chocolate pie. I think Beverly makes a mean chocolate pie. Is it Beverly? I don't remember. But anyway, she's shaking her head. Yes, don't make me one. I'll eat it in one day on Sunday. Anyway, that's not the right way to live your life, being a glutton. And that wasn't much, but 
How many times have I eaten two chocolate pies? One of her ladies brought me a pecan pie, and I thought, oh, no. That's not going to last one day. I take an hour break in between slices. I think what we ought to do is just cut a pie in half so we can say we only ate two pieces. I'm joking about my own struggles, but isn't gluttony a sin? Absolutely. Some people, we live, live just to eat. Others, you know, eat to survive. I'm one of those guys that loves to eat. Think all day about I can't wait for supper. Honestly, this morning I thought, boy, barbecue, I'm, I'm wondering what the sides are. I'm not a potato salad fan, but I'm thinking this morning in Sunday school about lunch. Food is important and necessary, but folks, self-control is one of, part of the fruit of the Spirit. And so your pastor has to be careful, and I know some of you do as well, and don't judge anybody on the outward. We don't know what people eat, but I've seen a time or two at fellowships when plates are pretty piled. Preacher, don't, don't go there. I'm, okay. Bryce, do we get a good serving? Now, Bryce, is he in here or is he junior church? He must be in junior church. He's probably sleeping in junior church because he stayed up all night. I was going to ask him how big the barbecue is, you know. Uh, but seriously, self-control. Now, moving along, uh, here he says in verse 4, Assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. So this is the waiting period. They had to wait 10 days. People that wanted to travel back, well, you know, uh, he says, wait. He had left. They waited 10 days. And they had the feast, and they just, after eating the feast there, they just sit and wait, wondering what's going on. And boy, the Holy Spirit came, didn't he? He showed up big time. Does that mean that's the first time the Spirit existed? No. He's omnipresent. He's always existed. He's part of the Trinity. He came upon believers in the Old Testament and departed from them when he was done with them, when they rejected him, when they went in the flesh. In the New Testament, he abides with us forever. That's why you feel so rotten sometimes during the preaching or during your devotions or when you're doing something wrong, because he's there. And here's the promise. The promise of the Father. He says, wait there for the promise of the Father. Now, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 16. One page over, and then we'll go to John 14. Acts 2, 16. I've just been rambling so long, and you're thinking, are you ever going to get done? I will. Therefore did my heart rejoice. Actually, I'm in 2.16. I need to be in 2.16. It says here, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So you see, Joel uh, told us this, the Spirit would come way back in Joel 2.28. We looked at last week. And God, of course, told Joel to write that. Now, look at John 14. Because, of course, John tells us as well, and who inspired John, the same Holy Spirit that inspired all the rest. And here's the Lord Jesus speaking, John 14, 16. He says here, if you, uh, actually, I mean, yeah, John 14, 16, 26 is where we'll pick up. It says here, 16, and I will pray, sorry, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter. That, ye may abide, that he may abide with you forever. There's two Greek words translated, another, believe it or not. It's different than our language. You have another of the same kind and another of a different kind, and this is another of the same. The Spirit's God in spirit, just like Jesus. He says, I'm going to send you another comforter. And what does it say here? He'll abide with you what? 
forever. Verse 16, 26. But the Comforter, which, the, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And, and then we look at uh, 15, 16, page over. says here, And ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go forth and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And then I want to go to... Uh, uh, verse 26, I went to the wrong verse again, uh, 26, but when the comforters come, whom I will send unto you, the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. And so he promised this, and God promised this, the Old Testament prophets and the apostles all wrote of his coming. John chapter 1, this is the last place we're going to verses 31 and 32. So the Spirit was promised. He said, I need to go away, so he'll come. And you know, he's with us just as much as Jesus was with them. You know, I think that we want to see, you know, the Lord in flesh. We all want that. But he tries to illustrate the point that you can have a relationship with me because of my Spirit. And a lot of people miss that. They miss the fact that Jesus promised he would come and he would comfort us, guide us, teach us, rebuke us, and do all those things. He's here in your body and your body and the, your life is pre, pre, preventing, excuse me, Satan from doing all he wants to do. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Finally, in verse 5 of our text, I'm referencing, stay in John chapter 1. He talks about being baptized. Look at here in chapter 5, verse 1. <laughs> chapter 1, I'm sorry. John 1, stay there, verse 32. And if I give you another reference, ignore me, okay? John 1, 32 and 33. Look what it says here. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water is the same said unto with water, the same said unto me, upon thou, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. So here, John says, the Lord Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said, I'll baptize you with water. But another's going to come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now here, John, the gospel writer, says the same thing. Mark says it, Luke says it, John says it. When you were saved, you were placed with Christ. The Bible says, buried with him in baptism. You were baptized by the Holy Spirit. As you died with Jesus Christ, you were placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 13. Romans 8, 9 says this, if any man hath not the Spirit, he's none of his. If you're here today and you don't feel a voice in there telling you right from wrong, speaking to you even while I'm preaching, if you're miserable at church and miserable under the Word of God, and you don't have any direction in your life, this week a neighbor boy, 25, 27 years old, came by, said, I want to talk to you sometime. I said, about what? He said, direction in my life, I thought. I'm going to win that guy to Jesus. <laughs> but he hadn't come back yet, so pray he does. 
Another neighbor had lost his wife walking his dog, and I'm working in the yard. I said, how are you today? And he said, not too good. I told you this already. They carried my wife. Hospice carried her body away today. I said, oh, and, he, and I said, are you okay? He said, I'd like to talk to you sometime. And I got to get them all to come back. But you know what? When the Lord lives in you, he'll open up doors for you to witness, to glorify him. And even though I have a rotten old body that can shove a whole piece of pie in my mouth, God still uses me. When I get mad and tailgate or get holler at whatever I holler at, God still wants to use me. I'm always shocked that he'd use a sinner like me. But he saves us and he puts the person, the Holy Spirit in us. We're not going to be perfect until we have a new body. Are you aware of that? Your body's sinful. Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You're rotten in your body. You know that. The only good in you is the Lord. Listen to that voice today. Listen to that voice. And ask God to guide you in your life. I love his guidance and leadership in my life. I, I wouldn't be here today without him. Of course, I wouldn't be saved without him. But his guidance and leadership has always been phenomenal in my life. I've always known when I was in the, in the will of God. Thank you, Lord, for that. Let's pray. Lord, if there's folks here that are not friends, help them today to commit their lives to be a better friend to you. We want you, Lord, as a get-out-of-jail-free card to, to save us from hell. But I don't know if we want you interfering in our lives. We want to make our decisions and do what we want to do. And God, that's wrong. It's not my will, but your will, Lord. And help me to yield to you, to give my life, as Romans says, to yield my body to you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And maybe there's some believers today that have not been your friend. And maybe they owe you an apology in a 1 John 1, 9 to confess it. And maybe there's people here today that do not know the Lord. And I don't know, Lord, what's going on in the hearts and lives of people, but you know every heart, you know every life. You know people who are hesitant to, to, to do something because they've been hurt in the past, because they have fears and I don't know what's going on, but I know as I talk to people, I hear a lot of stories, and I know you'll solve all those issues because you're God. And Lord, I just pray we'll be obedient to you today in whatever you lead us to do, to be obedient. Bless now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.